Welcome to Divorce Stories with attorney Dennis Vetrano, the show for people that want real answers to real divorce questions from a real divorce lawyer. And now here's your host, attorney Dennis Vetrano. Welcome back to Divorce Stories. I'm your host, divorce attorney Dennis Vetrano. Again, we have a tremendous treat for you today. We have Julie Teefteller. Am I saying that correctly? That's it. I got it wrong the first time when we were off off camera, but, uh, you know, at least I cleaned it up before we started. Right. Yeah. So proud. Okay, awesome. So the topic today is how to save your marriage. Now, um, Julie is a marriage and relationship coach who has coached hundreds of individuals through overcoming resentment, breaking the argument cycle and getting on the same page, even when both partners have completely opposing viewpoints. She resolutely believes that you don't need to continually relive the past in order to move forward, and that it only takes one person to completely transform a relationship. Hmm, interesting. like to hear more about that. She teaches her students easy-to-implement relationship skills with step-by-step guidance so they can start seeing improvements in their relationship starting today. And married, two kids yourself, correct? That's correct. Okay. We're almost living parallel lives, at least in that regard, right? Married, two kids as well. So boy and a girl. So um, so so I need to know what inspired you to create books and programs for people to connect better with their partners? That really goes back to my own health and wellness journey. I, I have a master's degree in communication. So I started with that. Um, I'm an Air Force veteran, so I did some time in the service uh, in between like studying couples and then going back to working with couples. Oh, nice. Um, thank you for your service, by the way. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, but what really brought me back to that was uh, I ended up getting an autoimmune disease uh-huh. and I went through a pretty like um, long journey with trying to recover from that. And what I found in that world, like in the health world is that everyone tends to focus on, on three things. It's like diet, um, fitness, and then maybe your mindset, but what people don't incorporate into like a healthy lifestyle is relationships. And that really surprised me because if you think about it, like the most inflammatory thing that we can consume is stress. And people are living these like super high stress lifestyles, mostly because of some type of relationship. It could be with a boss. It could be with a kid. It could be with a spouse, Um, but they're super stressed all the time. And they're just absorbing that all day long. And it's causing them, you know, mental health struggles, physical health struggles. Um, And I just, I hate to see people suffer. So that's, that's what brought me back to this is like, I think that relationships um, should be a priority in people's lives. And it tends to get treated as an afterthought in terms of like, people don't seek help for that until it's too late. Like when it's already like way too far gone, that's when they're like, oh, I should give my relationship some attention. Um, And I think it requires preventative care the same way that you would like with your health. so that's really that's really what brought me back to it. It made a huge impact in my own life to really focus on the quality of my relationships. And I've seen the same thing for other people that I've helped. Can I tell you, I asked just about every guest that I have on that same or similar question. That's one of the most compelling answers I think I've ever gotten. So, yeah, that's awesome. That's Thank awesome. you. Uh, so you say in your story on Instagram that communication doesn't save marriages connection does. Can you explain what you mean by that? And what's the difference between connection and communication? 
Sure. Absolutely. So connection is like more about the bond between two people. And when I say communication, like hear me say this, okay. I have a master's degree in communication. I know how important communication is in interpersonal communication, by the way. Right. And so like, I've, I've studied this. It's super important. I will never say it's not important to relationships, but it shouldn't be the starting point of repairing a relationship. And here's why connection and communication, they're, they're linked together. Okay. So if you can effectively communicate, then you can strengthen a healthy connection. Okay. And if you have a healthy connection, you will be more able to effectively communicate and it'll keep going round and round in that cycle. However, if your communication is ineffective, then you're going to weaken the connection in your relationship and a weakened connection makes communication more ineffective and you'll go round and round that cycle. So what tends to happen is couples who are already disconnected or already have a weak connection. They don't like each other. They're fighting all the time. They're, they're feeling distant. They're feeling like roommates, things like that. They start with con- communication. Like they look at communication as the problem. That's what I hear most often is, oh, if we could just learn how to communicate better, then it would fix things. So they jump to communication and maybe they go to like marriage counseling or something like that. And they learn how to argue better. They learn prettier words. But what happens is they're still ineffectively communicating, which continues to weaken the connection, which continues to make ineffective communication and round and around it goes. So I think it's more important to shift the focus towards the connection and strengthening the bond between two partners before talking about those really tricky difficult topics. And the reason is, is that when we strengthen the connection, then we're strengthening the compassion that we have for each other and being able to have compassion for each other is what makes communication so effective in a relationship. I do have another thought on this too. Like if I can squeeze it in. Yeah, sure, sure. Go ahead. Um, I think it's important to differentiate between a conversation and communication. Okay. Cause people are like, well, how am I supposed to connect if I can't talk to my partner? <laughs> like, how am I supposed to, how am I supposed to connect with them then? I'm not saying not to talk, but conversation is like, if you tell me, Julie, you're the best podcast guest I've ever had. That is a conversation. Okay. That is an exchange of thoughts, ideas, opinions, beliefs. That's a conversation. If you tell me, Julie, we need to schedule our next podcast interview. You have to come back. What's a good day and time for you? That is communication. And the reason is, is that there's a goal. Okay. So if it's a goal focused conversation, now we've moved into communication because we're trying to create some type of change, some type of action is, is in that. Okay. So that then becomes goal focused. So with communication, that's where it becomes either effective or ineffective. Have we met the goal? Have we not? Okay. So do you see the the difference between the two? Yeah. Wow. This is fascinating. And, and you know, it's so funny because me as a divorce lawyer, I mean, I'm sure you saw, you've seen my TikTok. I, after all the stories I've heard of people getting divorced, look, I, I, I try to give as much, you know, relationship, not advice, but my, my two cents as you can. And my thought is, Hey, you're in that roommate roommate phase, right? It's getting boring. It's getting dull. You're not really connecting with each other. You know, my thought is, you know, obviously I'm the amateur here. Um, communicate, but now or like have conversations about things. So now I'm seeing how you kind of can dissect that even further than that and uh, and and hope for something with more more result oriented. 
Yeah. What I tell my clients is that we're going to start with connection first. That's my primary goal for you. So we table those stickier, heavier conversations. That doesn't mean that it won't get addressed. It means we're going to table it while we focus on the connection. And after we've repaired the connection, then we re-engage with those heavier conversations and it's going to be so much more effective for you. Yeah. Wow. That's interesting. So, so what are the different types of connection? That depends on who you ask, I'm sure. Um, so for me, I, I look at eight different types, actually. So the ones that people are probably the most familiar with would be like a physical connection, intellectual connection, emotional, um, maybe even right. spiritual. Um, those are probably the ones that I, I hear about most frequently. Um, I do think that it goes beyond that, though. Uh, for instance, just as an example, if you look at physical connection, um, people are thinking in terms of maybe uh, sexual connection um, or like physical attraction. Um, but I think there's more to that physical component. For instance, like uh, what kind of lifestyle do you have? You know, I mean, if you're if you're a, a big fitness buff, for instance, you're probably going to want to connect with somebody or it is a part of connection to you to be able to go work out together or to have like an active lifestyle together. Yeah. Um, but that's not what people think of when they think of physical. So I, I expand upon, you know, what people are more familiar with. And I would also look at your sexual connection. Like I, I break that out separately. Um, I would also look at your social connection. Like what kind of uh, lifestyle do you live together? Do you go out with friends on the weekends? Do you enjoy the same hobbies and activities? Um, contribution, which would be like, do you feel like you contribute to your household? Does your partner feel that? Do they, you know, do you feel like uh, significant? Do you feel like you belong to your family? Do you, do you feel valued? Do you feel like you have a way to provide value? Um, and then an, another one that I think is really important is just fun. Like, I, I think that if I could prescribe something for every struggling relationship, it would be a prescription for go have fun with your partner. Like yeah. relationships need more fun. Yeah. And so, um, you know, what are you doing on that level to actually like have fun and enjoy each other? Right. And I think the fun part, you know, that's an interesting topic because even for me in my relationship now, I'm going on having been married. September 1st will be 15 years for us. And, uh, you know, that's the one thing I think the fun thing is the thing you can like, you can feel, you can touch, you can, you know, like you, you feel almost an automatic reaction from that. If you say, Hey, let's go for a hike. Hey, let's go mountain biking. Hey, let's, you know, you, you, you feel that. I don't know if it's endorphins or what it is, but you feel it right away. You feel that connection right when you're in it, you know, even before it and after it. So um, it's just so tangible, I, I find, in terms of just that fun piece. Yeah. And it's the one that I mean, you're the divorce attorney, so you can probably tell me. But like, I can tell you the hurting couples that come to me, they have, you know, three things in common. Normally, it's what I call the big three. OK, the big three of connection to me is time, talk and touch. Are you spending time together? Are you talking to each other? Not communicating. Are you conversating? Are you talking to each other? And are you touching each other? And I'm not just talking about sexual, but like, are you hugging? Are you holding hands? Are you you know, cuddling together? Are you, are you touching each other at all? And what I see in the, the most hurting couples is there's none of that. You know, yeah. one of the first things to go when you start having relationship problems is your sex life. Like that gets flushed on the toilet pretty right. quickly. 
And so, um, and then the, as the resentment starts to build and people are arguing and they get snippy with each other, we're on this like emotional intimacy versus physical intimacy, like dual. Um, what, what happens is that there's, they stop spending time together. They stop talking to each other because it just always leads to an argument. And we have further and further and further breakdown of the connection in the relationship. And then communication right. just out the window as a side effect. Right. It's funny because like all of the things that I've seen as a divorce lawyer and listen, I, I consume this content. I watch your TikToks. I listen to each one of those things. And, and honestly, quite honestly, I try to apply them in my own relationship. I'll tell you right now I do, um, especially people like I know enough from being in the divorce world for so long and hearing so many stories of broken relationships. I know enough to like know what sounds right to me. So like even those little things, like like even with my wife, I, like just a touch of the hand, just a hug, so, like little, little things. And it's not, you know, and I, I find that I think uh, the stereotype is that men are so like hyper sexually focused and, and probably to a certain degree, that's true. But uh, but those little things are what and I call it intimacy. I'm sure I have it completely wrong in terms of the, what I'm calling it. But like, I feel like those little things like help keep the connection of, you know, kind of together because, you know, you, quite frankly, when you're married and you have kids and you're running multiple companies and stuff like we are, you're just so busy. You just don't you don't have the time to fit it all in. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's it's funny that you say that because um I think we run parallel lives too. You were saying that earlier. You're just getting it coming up on your 15th anniversary. We just celebrated the 16th. Oh, congratulations. That's awesome. Thank you. And, um, and one of the, the very first videos that I posted on TikTok, I said, um, and I tell my clients this all the time, the little things are the big things. Okay. And, and that goes positive or negative. It doesn't matter. It, it, you know, the little things that annoy you at the beginning of a relationship, you don't resolve this. The things that you're, when you were dating, you were like, ah, it'll get better. He'll grow out of video yeah. games. It'll get better over time. And then you get married and it just amplifies. Like it, it yeah. becomes a bigger problem. The same thing with the little good things though, those small, like very, very small things like you're talking about, just like an encouraging text or, or, you know, a sweet compliment or a kiss on the cheek before you leave for work or a a hug or holding hands for even a minute. Like those are little, little things, but it has such a big impact on the connection in a relationship. Yeah. You know, not to sound too dark, but I always use this phrase, um, death by a thousand cuts. Mm-hmm. So sometimes like the little, little things over time, more and more and more and more. And, and it, a lot of times I'll describe it as uh, y- you're losing a little bit over time, a little bit, 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 a little bit. And then the little bit becomes the big bit. So um, can is this is this a two to tango sort of thing or can one person really effectuate some real change in a relationship? You are touching on a subject that like gets me a lot of haters on TikTok. That's okay. <laughs> Listen, that's okay. You know, it's so oh. funny because I put out so many topics out there that I do get haters on. And 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 sometimes, uh, you know, it's sometimes you work so hard on this content that it's hurtful to hear the negativity and people attacking you. But but what I've decided to do is I've decided to take the approach that I create content. It's to start a conversation for people. Not everybody's going to agree with me. Not everybody's going to like what I have to say, but at least to starting a conversation. And then when people are negative, I say, come on, tell, tell me what your suggestions are. If you don't like what I'm saying, tell me other suggestions. Let's open up a dialogue. So anyhow, let's hear about this. I want to hear about this. 
Yeah. And I'm happy to talk about it. You know, I mean, the, where I got to a while ago is like, I own my truth. And, you know, if you don't want to hear it, you're welcome to scroll past. And if you want to comment, that's great. It helps my engagement. So it's fine. <laughs> yes, um, absolutely. Like, um, but I, you know, as far as can some, can one person change their relationship? Absolutely. I absolutely believe that. And I'll, I'll play it out for you. Okay. I'm going to give you a metaphor. If yes, you please. look at a relationship kind of like, um, like a color palette, if you go back to like kindergarten or first grade and we're comparing colors together. Okay. So let's say the relationship is orange. And so like one partner is yellow, one partner is red. Okay. Let's say the yellow partner decides that they're going to start showing up as blue now. The entire relationship changes. The relationship's now purple because we have red and blue together. That makes purple. Okay. So like how you show up in a relationship has a drastic impact because you affect your partner and the relationship, your partner affects you and the relationship and the relationship affects you both. So it's very, 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 very powerful. If you can shift how you show up. I can take any, and I do this with my clients all the time. I can take any situation and I can tell you how you can show up differently on this side or this side, and you can get a completely different effect because it, it's universal law, cause and effect. Okay. And you yeah. may think like people think that, oh, so-and-so can never change or they, one of the, one of the biggest downfalls, one of the biggest relationship killers is uh, assumption communication. Okay. It's where you just like, you think you already know what your partner's going to do, or you think you already know what they're going to say. And so you don't give them the benefit of the doubt of them saying it themselves. And you know what, you've been through a lot with your partner. You have a lot of history. Maybe you do know, but the only constant in life is change. That's the only constant in life. And if somebody's programmed to like respond a certain way, it's based off of a collection of their lifetime experiences. If you shift those experiences and they're starting to experience more positivity from you, more gratitude from you, more kindness from you, more appreciation from you, you shift to the result. It's that every cause has an effect. Every effect has a cause. So if we look at how we show up in the relationship, if you shift how you show up, you're going to shift the result. Yep. It's funny. I keep using this quote over and over and over again. You can't change other people. You can only change yourself. But and, 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 and I, I don't know what the real meaning is. Who knows? But my my interpretation of that is you change yourself. And then the way everything else in the world reacts to the way you behave completely changes because you've changed yourself because you've shifted what you're doing. Yeah. And I'll add on to that and say, one of the things I tell my clients is it's your responsibility is to change your response ability. So if you separate those words, okay, there's a difference between reacting and responding. And most people are walking around in life on autopilot. They are walking around at the mercy of their own triggers. Okay. And, right. and one of the biggest, you know, killers that I see is that in relationships is that people are basically handing these list of triggers to their partners, to their parents, to their friends, you know, don't talk about this. It's going to trigger me. This is my trauma. Right. This is what I've gone through in the past. Like, don't, don't touch on these subjects. It's a trigger for me. 
But the thing is, if we all do that, if we all like, you know, every trauma, traumatic event you go through in your life, which by the way, I've talked to a lot of people, everyone has some, okay. And I'm not going to get into a comparison war on whose story is worse. Everybody's been through something. Okay. And if we all walk around with these long list of triggers, hand every person, and then, oh, by the way, I went through another crappy thing and I have a new trigger. So now I got to update all of you. And we all have these lists of triggers. Then we just end up in these like, minefields of triggers. And that's what happens when people say that they feel like they're walking on eggshells is they, they just have this minefield of triggers in the relationship. And instead of resolving them, they just continue to tippy toe around them. And eventually somebody's going to explode. Right. Right. So on your TikTok, you have a, on your TikTok, there was a video about expectations versus boundaries. Talk to me a little bit about that. Yeah. So expectations, um, a synonym for it would be ultimatums, um, is like it's external. Okay. So it's us looking to someone else to fill our need or looking for them to change their behavior or else. Okay. So if I, the, an expectation turns into an ultimatum when you add that or else to the end of it, but it's external. And I, um, this is what we were just talking about with like responsibility or the only person you can change is yourself. I will never advocate for giving your power away. Okay. I mean, I'm a huge advocate for empowering yourself. And so when we look outside ourselves for someone else to make us happy, for someone else to fulfill our needs, for someone else to change so that we can be happy, we've given all of our power away. We've given all of our power away to them. And, and that is just like, it's not, um, it's, it's like a prison. You know what I mean? I want people to be able to make themselves happy. All right. We, as partners in a relationship, we're not responsible for making our partner happy. We can enhance each other's happiness. That's what we're there to do, but we're not responsible to make them happy and they're not responsible to make us happy. So I digress back to expectations. versus No, no. That, listen, that was, that was super good. Oh my God. Uh, I, I, you just, I'm just sitting here kind of like, <laughs> I don't know if spellbound is the good word, but, but really like that, that really hits home. So anyhow, back to the original thing. Thank you for that. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, expectations, it's an external thing. Okay. A boundary is an internal thing. That's about us. It's about our needs. So if we approach a conversation and I say, for instance, you know, Uh, I expect you to spend time with me every single weekend. Okay. That is an expectation. It also comes across as a demand and that, and then is going to put that partner, unless they're incredibly secure, it's going to put that partner on the defensive. And we're like, I spend time with you here, here, and here. What are you talking about? Like I spend time with you every weekend. And then now we've headed down the road to an argument because we put our partner on the defensive and defensiveness is its own like sucky cycle. Like it just kind of sucks you in. And then you go down this downward spiral because defensiveness breeds defensiveness. So if we approach that same conversation differently and we say, okay, what's my need? I need quality time. Like I need, I need to spend time with my partner. Okay. But it's not on them to make my, me happy. The way that we express that in terms of a boundary though, if you feel like you're being neglected by your partner and they're always like out spending time with their friends or playing with their video games or whatever, and you're not getting any quality time is like, Hey, I love you. I know you love me and we both care about having a healthy relationship. Right. So I need to spend time with you in order to feel connected to you. 
And if that's not where you're at right now or not something that you are capable of, then I might need to pursue a different path. Um, now, if you're married, maybe I would suggest a different tactic, but you know, I mean, if you're dating, I think that's a totally reasonable boundary. If you're not spending time together now, it's probably right. going to look worse for you if you're married. Right. Wow. Wow. That's useful information. So, um, so I just did a piece on never trashing your spouse to others and obviously forgive the, the slangs, um, what are your thoughts on this topic? Because I mean, personally, I love this topic and I have my own opinions, but I'd love to hear your opinions about it. About what? Not talking about about your partner? Not trashing your spouse to others. Yeah, a thousand percent. I would always I would always say that. The thing is um, that that can be really painful about trash talking your spouse to others. Most of us like we all know what it feels like when we need to vent and we need to just like get to get something off of our chest and, and get to talk about something. But, um, the question I ask people is, are you doing that? Are you having that conversation in order to, is there a goal? Like you're trying to make things better and you're trying to seek some helpful, constructive advice, or are you trying to soothe your own ego and hear from someone else that you were in the right? that they're wrong, you're right. And, and you feel you need that soothing. And if that's the case, then that that's a red flag friend that you don't have the ability to self-soothe. Okay. Like that is, that is an ego thing. And if you're pursuing the ego, that's a, (laughs) that's a red flag for yourself. Um, so the other thing is, is that if we talk bad about our partner, other people outside of the relationship are only going to get the picture that we're painting for them. Okay. If I paint my husband to look like Prince Charming, which he is, I love that man. (laughs) Oh, good guy. Good guy. I like him a lot. Um, You know, and if I tell you about, you know, him making me smoothies in the morning or him cuddling with me every night or taking me to Disney world or whatever, like you're going to get this really nice picture of him. Okay. If I show up and tell you that, you know, he has a nasty temper and, and he can be so hard on our kids and, you know, he, he forgot my birthday or whatever. And like, I just start painting this completely different picture. You're making this person seem like a monster. And the problem with this is, is that most of the time we're telling people that care about us. Okay. So if we're telling our friends and our family that this person, you know, you won't believe what he said to me today or what he did last night or how he treated little Johnny or whatever. And we're telling our our friends and family that their, their desire is for us to be happy. Their desire is for us to be taken care of. So if they think that we're in harm's way, then what are they going to do? Their immediate reaction is going to you know, you need to get out. Like you, you probably, you tell him what's what, if he doesn't get his act in line, then you need to, you need to get out of there. Like divorce, ASAP. This is the, you know, um, and I know this is your business, but this is the challenge in society now is like, we treat things almost like surgical is that if we don't like it, or it's starting to get a little toxic, we just cut it out kind of like surgery instead of realizing that like the body has an innate ability to heal relationships can heal. They can. And so, you know, um, so anyway, when we, when we do that with our uh, friends and family, we're really damaging our own support system and it can be really hard to come back from that is like, let's say that your opinion about your partner shifts. I've worked with a lot of couples that have dealt with this is that they get healthier, but all the family doesn't trust that person anymore. Right. 
And so then you've like damaged your own support system. Right. Yeah. It's almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy almost. I mean, obviously that's, that's um, certainly oversimplifying, but uh, you know, it's funny. Uh, I don't know if you know, but we also, my wife and I, we operate and run a wedding dress shop and a wedding venue, which is kind of funny since I'm a divorce lawyer, but uh, I heard uh, during one of the ceremonies, I heard one of the rabbis say, and I use it in one of my pieces, if it can be broken, it can be fixed. And I firmly believe that. I mean, look, with the divorce market, with with the way it is, family law, what we do, I will always be busy. I have always been busy. And and the point is to really help people when they need a change in their life, when when there's no alternative but to do that. But I yeah. firmly believe if it's broken, for the most part, unless it's abuse, you know, addiction, those sorts of things, it can be fixed. Um, I don't believe in just the throwaway marriage. I don't believe you just get married and the first time they do something you don't like or there's some little idiosyncrasy. Well, you just throw it away and get another one. Never been my view of the world, even though I'm a divorce lawyer. So. Yeah, and I appreciate that. I, I watched your content, too, and I really love <laughs> the like and I support it. I, I would say the same thing on my channel is that, you know, you you fix it or nix it like you either got to get it together or you need to yep. move on because staying unhappily married or unhappily in some relationship long term, that's just like that's not acceptable. That's not the acceptable solution. I get asked a lot. Um, like, how do I know when it's over? How do, how do I know if my relationship is salvageable? Um, you want to know? I, I absolutely 100% I want to know, please. <laughs> so I tell people that aside from abuse, because you said that, and we do need right. to be careful with the word abuse because abuse and gaslighting, these are like Right. Getting overused in our society. Right. I don't believe that everything that gets labeled as abuse is abusive. Like it, it, right. it just need to be careful with that word. But legitimate, legitimate abuse, I would tell you to leave too. Like you need yeah. to go. Right. Um, but outside of that, what I say is you leave when it's no longer about the relationship skill set. Okay. So if it's, if it's communication, if it's connection, if it's working on intimacy, um, if it's any of these things that are the normal responses, this is a skill set. It can be learned. It can be healed. It can be fixed. Okay. If you don't have the desire to do it, I can't give you the desire. Okay. Right. You have to, you have a, you have to have a why you have to have a reason that you want to stay in the relationship. But I can tell you this, if it doesn't get healed, it gets repeated. And this is the reason that people move on from a relationship and they attract the same types of toxic partners over and over and over again. We're kind of like puzzle pieces, okay? And, and we, we look for the other puzzle piece that fits us. If we don't shift our puzzle piece and we don't heal things and we don't kind of change the shape of what we're looking for, then you continue to attract the same partners over and over. Oh my God, yes, 100%. So so let's circle back to the other issue we were talking about before. So you're frustrated. Your spouse is doing X and Y and Z bothering you. How how's a better way to deal with this level of frustration rather than venting to friends and family? What's a more productive way to deal with that? I, again, I think like you should have a trusted mentor in your life, you know, I've, whether it's like a coach or a therapist or a, a friend, it could be a family member, something to keep in mind if it is a friend or family member. If those people uh, don't do this for a living, they don't, you know, coach relationships for a living, um, then you do need to, to take that with a grain of salt. Okay. Cause they're going based off of their lifetime experience, which their lifetime experience may be limited. Maybe they've only been in one relationship. Maybe they've been right. in a dozen and they're not the best source of advice anyway. Right. <laughs> um, but, 
either way, like it, it's a very limited focus. So um, just remember to take it with a grain of salt and only talk to people who really uh, you trust. And also um, I would prefer that you talk to people who love your partner too. Okay. Who, who love and support your relationship and who know that when you have a bad day, that doesn't mean that your relationship's over. It just means you're having a bad day and it, you know, maybe you need a little bit of advice or you just need to be able to talk. Um, so in terms of, uh, outside of that though, like I would, I would recommend having some sort of trusted mentor or some place that you can go to talk. Um, but beyond that, I also teach people, and I think this is incredibly important. I talk about it a lot on TikTok is you need to be able to self-soothe. Um, and that means like, look at your, if you suffer from anxiety or anger management problems, depression, things like that, those are classic signs of a dysregulated nervous system. If you don't know how to regulate your nervous system or you're not practicing that on a regular basis, you will see symptoms start to pop up like problems with your partner and problems in the relationship. So I would address something like that. If some of your partner's driving you crazy, whatever, I want to look back at, are, are you regulating your nervous system? How, how strong is the connection in your relationship? And if your connection is strong, then we have a goal focused conversation. That's the path. Okay. So the best apology is changed behavior. Now you have a TikTok piece on this and I'm going to share a little story with you first before we get into this. So I had a conversation now. I, now, again, I, I, I'm trying the best I can based on my background and what I do to try to take my own advice, right? Or take your advice, whatever I'm consuming from people who I really trust. So uh, I have this conversation with my wife the other day. And at the end of the conversation, I always like to try to be as communicate, communicative as I can be. And I say to her, hey, you know, my wife's name is Charlotte. I said, hey, Char, you know, I'm, I'm really sorry for coming across preachy to you, um, but blah, blah, blah. She says, well, how about instead of preaching to me and then apologizing for being preachy, how about you just not preach to me? <laughs> and I was like, dead silence. <laughs> and I was thinking I was doing the right thing by apologizing. And then I thought about it and I'm like, holy shit, she's 100 percent right. You know, she just wanted me to listen to her situation. She didn't want me to preach some solution I came up with. She just wanted me to listen. And I stupidly jump right into it, start giving advice, saying what you should do, being preachy. And she says, why don't you just not be preachy? So talk to me about your TikTok piece on this. <laughs> I need help. I think a lot of people do too. Okay. Well, first I'm going to give you advice about that situation. So, yes, you don't, please. so that you don't experience that in the future. When, uh, when somebody comes to you with a problem or they're venting about something, they're frustrated, they're upset, they're looking for one of three things. And you need to know what this is before you proceed, okay? They're either looking for comfort, solutions, or space. Um, some people just want to talk. Women, I, I, I don't, I don't want to gender profile this, but typically women process externally and they just want to talk, but they don't want you to jump in and fix it. And so, um, so one of the things that I struggle with, especially as a coach, because like, for instance, I love to go to Disney World. I walk around Disney World, the happiest place on earth. And I see all these couples like exploding little miniatures. <laughs> right. okay? And I so badly want to walk up and be like, I can help you. <laughs> right. Wrong. Right. Like, right. Let me show you how you can show up differently in this conversation. Um, but I know, obviously, that if I walk up to them, they're going to tell me to like buzz off. Uh, they'll right. 
probably have more choice words than that. Right. Um, and so the thing is, is that we don't want to give unsolicited advice, even to our partners. Um, if they're looking for the solution and they're looking for your input, which I frequently, you know, when I talk to my husband, I am looking for an opinion here. Like I want to, I want to know what you're thinking. And, and he just sits there and he'll observe and he'll listen and he won't say a word at all until I'm like, okay, I need you to tell me what you think. And then he'll talk is like the invitations there. Um, so comfort solutions or space. What was your question? We were talking. <laughs> so let me just, just let me just tell you to begin with. I, I was writing down unsolicited, no unsolicited advice. I just want you to know I took that down as notes, but I actually came to that conclusion myself. I basically said I processed it and I thought I didn't say anything. As I said, I didn't respond at all. I just walked away and just like, let it lie. And I processed and I processed and I was like, damn it, Dennis, she didn't ask you for your opinion. She didn't ask you for a solution. Why in the hell would you give her one and then preach about it? She was right. I should have just. But again, you did a TikTok piece on how we how we more appropriately address that sort of situation. Yeah. And again, the best apology is change behavior. So right. how do you know your TikTok piece about that? How do we improve that? Yeah. So I, I don't want people to take away from this that I, I'm not saying to never apologize. Okay. But I do want you to look at if you're, if you know, if no matter what side of this you're on, you can change how you show up. Okay. If right. we're expecting an apology from someone else and we're not getting it, and then we're resentful because we don't hear the words, people get so stuck on the words. This is another downfall in communications. People get so stuck on the words. Um, and the thing is, is that some people apologize in a different way. I'm not saying that you don't deserve to hear the words, I'm sorry. Uh, but there are a lot, again, I'm not trying to gender stereotype, but I will lean towards the men on this one. There are a lot of men who apologize through actions. Like they'll go, you know, clean something or, hey, they they, they go to the honey-do list when they're sorry. <laughs> they're start like, checking up. Yeah. Time to start checking some boxes off. Yeah. This, um, when they know that they, they know they're in the wrong. Okay. But right. instead of coming and saying they're sorry, they start going to like fix things around the house or whatever. And like trying to like make it up to their partner. Right. Um, I'm not saying that you can't apologize. Um, but the best apology really is taking and owning your role in whatever this thing was that you're sorry for, and then right. choosing to change your behavior in the future. Now, that being said, going to your example, um, I do want to offer the grace to you and other people like you that we get stuck in patterns of thinking. Okay. Like we are, we are, um, we have these like wiring in our brain that until it gets rewired, that's just what you're going to reach for automatically. It's the way that your brain's wired based off of a collection of lifetime experiences. Okay. Right. Um, and all of that's led you up to the person that you are changing a habit like that takes a minimum of 30 days of consistent behavior change, 30 yeah. days to make it like your automatic reaction is not to say that like, right. and that means, you know, every time your wife comes to talk to you, you know, with a, with a conversation like that, that you you're going in your brain and you're going comfort solutions or space comfort. solutions. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that's good. That's so good. I'm telling you, I took notes. I'm telling you right now. <laughs> Good, good. Happy so, to help. No, but I no, but I think um, what I've always loved about all of the content of yours that I've consumed over the past several months is that it's so real, it's so result oriented, it's so practical and logical, rather than this sort of like hyper technical, like 
I don't know, theoretical approach. It's real world advice. And I think at the end of the day, that's what tends to be most effective, at least at least from my view of the world. Yeah. So when I did my uh, when I was in college and I was doing my master's degree, they make you pick a focus on like whether you're going to do qualitative studies, which is, you know, you're asking questions and us just like sitting here theorizing, talking, whatever. That's right. like a qualitative approach versus quantitative where you're seeking da- data and like numbers. You want to see right. like graphs and, you know, analyzing the the results of something. I like both. Okay. Like I've, right. I'll sit here and talk theory with you. And like, you know, I find it interesting, but I am a goal focused coach. That is my number one thing is that we don't stay stagnant. Okay. There are, um, I don't want to give a bad name to therapists there. I think everyone who goes into this field has good intentions. Um, but also recognize that, you know, you continuing to come to them with problems over and over and over again, that's their income. Okay. So like, if you continue to keep coming back with more arguments and more issues and more conversations, then, you know, that, that sustains their, their income flow. Um, I want you to move forward. That is like my number one goal is that you do not stay stagnant where you're at. And this is what I love about your pages. We're moving forward one way or another. Um, and so like, I think it's really, really important to have those goals and, uh, and that's what I try to teach on, on my page. The other thing is, is I want to do relationships simplified. Like, I think that we get too strung out in like all these different um, theories and stuff. And don't get me wrong. Like, I, I think there's value to some of it. I, I love talking about um, attachment, for instance. Yeah. Um, but if you're just like looking for labels or a way to explain people or, or sticking, you know, sticking the narcissist label on, on humans or, or, oh, they're an avoidant or they have anxious attachment or, right. well, their love language is this or whatever that can really like snag people is that we're just, we're just trying to like diagnose everybody instead of actually treating the problem. Okay. Diagnosing only helps to give you a path. If you're, if you're diagnosing somebody with like a health issue or whatever, the diagnosis can be empowering to know that there's like a name for what you're going through. And like, this is the treatment plan and this is the course of action. But if you don't actually pursue that treatment plan, things don't get better. Right. It's funny because people always ask me the narcissist is is, that's that's like the the title, the label du jour. Uh, And I get a lot of questions. Well, how do you deal with a narcissist and how do you you know, how do you how do you argue the person's a narcissist before the court? How do you tell a judge? And I always tell people like, look, you're going to walk in and you're going to say narcissist and the judge is going to look at you and their eyes are going to glaze over. Yeah. Like, tell me what that means. Tell me what behavior it is. That that causes you to believe that person is an X or a Y or a Z and how that factual um, information impacts the situation, because then it's more pragmatic, then it's more real. Then the judge is like, oh, this person always keeps the kids from you. This person does. So so for me, like I'm, I'm trying, at least on my page, to get people away from the labels or their personality disorder. They're a narcissist, because unless you're going to have an expert come in and testify to this and give you something really meaningful and even then. Who knows where that gets you? Give me real facts. Give me behaviors. You know, how do the how does that impact the situation and your situation from from your viewpoint? How do we how do we address those situations? How do we address those behaviors, those facts, those real world things that we're dealing with? Yeah, what I tell people like and here's a 
my number one communication tip. Okay. Like years of research, years of life experience poured into this little nugget. I'm ready to take notes. (laughs) (laughs) I'm telling you right now. Focus on the feelings and not the words. It's like my number one tip for people is that when we get into a conversation with our partner that's serious or heavy, or you get into an argument, people get really spun up on the words. Okay. Specifically, if um, let's say your partner is really upset, let's say you didn't unload the dishwasher again. Okay. And that, that, that event then turns into a trend of like, you never helped me around the house. So we've escalated it now to a, to an always or never statement is you didn't unload the dishwasher. You never helped me around the house. And then we turn it into a character statement. You're such a narcissist. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. Like zero to a hundred, right. Fast. Yeah. And this is how arguments progress. Okay. Right. Um, And so like, what I, when I tell people to focus on the feelings is like where we get hooked in is wanting to defend ourselves. That's always, that's always like the hook. It's the bait is somebody brings a complaint to you. And then you're like, Oh, I help you all the time. Let me show you how you're here, here, and here. And you're like list laundry listing every chore you've done in the last six months. And we just, we get hooked in on trying to defend ourselves instead of looking at, okay, this person is feeling what overwhelmed, stressed, depressed, unseen, not valued at this particular moment, not supported. It doesn't really matter. (laughs) All these, like this, this, all this proof that people try to assemble, like the six months of chores or whatever, it doesn't matter how that person feels in that moment. If you can compassionately connect to that and respond to that, respond instead of react. I see you. I hear you. I got it. I'm going to do the dishes right now. Like, are you feeling okay? Like, are you overwhelmed? What's going on? Like something like that so that we can kind of explore, is there more to this? Is it just the dishes? Okay. You're right. I didn't do the dishes. The end. Like it doesn't have to go further than that. If I have compassion for that human, my number one priority is us returning to balance is returning to that like happy, healthy state. That's what I want to maintain. When my partner's upset, Here's another tip. When my partner's upset, I know that I have something to learn in that moment about him, about us, about whatever it is. But if he starts to go off the rails about something, I'm like, oh God, what? I'm paying attention. What's happening? Like, what? Right. What's going on? Um, because there's something, there's always something that we can learn in moments like that. Yeah. And it's funny because I think the conversations back and forth, especially when you've been married for years, like we don't, um, we don't really uh, pay attention. And I don't mean like the classical sense of paying attention, but we don't pay attention to the things that you're pointing out. And, and probably because we don't know to. We don't know to think, hey, let's analyze, you know, what they're feeling, what they're saying, like you just said. And then like everything spirals out of control so fast because you don't really like focus on actually what's what they're attempting to convey to you. I mean, you hear the words, but you're not looking at what's behind it, really. Yeah. It's kind of like, um, you have to play a little bit of like emotional detective. And one of the things I teach my clients, I think is really important is, um, being able to read emotions. So being able to identify and interpret, because you might be dealing with a partner who is avoidant, who was raised in a family that they didn't express themselves. They didn't talk. They didn't know how to 
communicate through all these things because their parents weren't taught that either. And so you're dealing with like breaking a generational cycle of people who don't know how to communicate and don't know how to express their feelings. So what can happen is if, you know, like I teach somebody how to do this stuff and they're like, well, they never know how to to say what they're feeling. Okay. That's great. Like we have to fill in the blanks sometimes like, and not, but not with assumptions. Okay. I I talked earlier about assumption communication. We don't want to just assume we can ask, we can clarify. We ask clarifying questions, you know, like I, I can see you're really angry right now. Are you frustrated because I didn't clean out the dishwasher or you just are, or you're overwhelmed? Is there a lot going on today? What's happening? Um, so you can ask questions to kind of clarify and then let your partner fill in those blanks for you. You We never want to tell someone else how they're feeling something that's like, whoo, whoo. Um, just like a big red flag in an argument is when somebody tries to logic someone else's emotions is like when they tell their partner why it's irrational for them to be feeling what they're feeling. You're just, you're freaking out. It's just a dishwasher. Like it's just, why are you losing your crap? I just forgot the dishes. I have stuff going on too, blah, 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 blah. Everything that comes after that is just invalidating how your partner is feeling. And there's nothing that comes, nothing good that's going to come from invalidating your partner. Yeah. Wow. Um, so one practical guide you have free on your website is called five text messages that can save your marriage. Ooh, man, was I flipping through that. So that sounds awesome. Now, now, now conventional wisdom is, hey, you don't ever want to text, communicate important things to your significant other or to your husband or wife. You always want to have these in person, um, these in person conversations rather than text. Texts are so impersonal. So why would you come up with the list and how can they help? Yeah, um, obviously, I tend to lean away from conventional <laughs> wisdom, yeah. um, but I I came up with that list because I believe that small things have big power. Like we were talking about earlier, the small right. things are the big things. And so when you look at a text message, I wouldn't ever say that a text message should replace face-to-face communication like all day long. And I also would not tell you to text in an argument. Okay. Those are my advice about text, but text in and of themselves are really like powerful little relationship nuggets. Okay. If you think about a time that you've looked at your phone and something that something makes you laugh, like maybe it's a funny gif that somebody sends you or somebody says like, Hey, I'm on my way. And you like immediately excited because you know, you're getting ready to see somebody or, you know, somebody texts you a picture of their baby and you're like, oh my gosh, that's cute baby or something like you can look at a text message and it could like make or break your day, depending on what's inside of it. And so for hurting couples, I I have um, like this approach to connection for hurting couples where, um, you know, because you were talking about earlier, like taking a hike or, you know, going to do an activity. Um, People that I work with, there's definitely partners out there that are like, nope, I'm not doing nothing with you. Nothing at all. Like, I don't want to do it. Um, And so then it's how do we improve connection with people like that? And that's the reason that I came up with that guide is something as small as a text message is a connection point. That's an opportunity for you to connect with your partner. And what I put in the guide is um, like different types of text messages. I have like uh, like the humor text, um, the appreciation text, the future text. And then I give examples of what each of those text messages are. So as like a, a an example, the future text would be um, you forecasting positive things over your relationship. So for instance, like I'm really looking forward to seeing you tonight. You're giving your partner something 
to look forward to something positive, saying something positive, or, Hey, do you have plans on Saturday? I have a surprise for us. That's a future forecast text where we're talking about something in the future that, you know, if you got a message like that from your partner, like I've got a surprise for you. Ooh. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds awesome. Yeah. So, um, an appreciation text, pretty self-explanatory, like we don't express gratitude enough. So even little things like, you know, Hey, um, I saw that you moved that thing out of the driveway. I appreciate it. I almost ran over it yesterday. Um, <laughs> something like that. Um, humor. I love gifs. Okay. They're drastically underused. Everybody needs to send more of those. Right. Hilarious. Um, so there's, there's just, uh, I put it together a whole bunch of examples in that guide um, so that you could know exactly what to text your partner if you're trying, uh, trying to rebuild that connection. Yeah, but I do. Listen, I did. I did skim through them. And I will tell you, I mean, if I got one of those texts in the middle of the day, it'd be nice. It'd be nice. Or 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 conversely, if I sent one, right, it would be nice. So and it's so easy. What I love about that is, look, it, these are so practical. Again, everybody's busy. You got a million things going on. But just those little things, those yeah. little things, a little touch of the hand, a little bit more understanding, a little bit more listening, a text here or there, like. So sex. Yes. <laughs> let's talk about sex. You you also offer something called bedroom bliss, which uses what you call the SEX method. Tell me about that. Yeah. So I, um, I grew up in a household that was, uh, very religious. Uh, I am a Christian, but I, I grew up with this, like, not a very taboo subject sex was like, I couldn't talk about anything. I couldn't, I didn't have anyone to ask questions to. Um, when I did get married, you know, I would say the first few years, you know, you think it's this honeymoon period, like, Oh, I've been like saving up. I'm ready to have sex. Boom. Like explosions, fireworks everywhere, but it really right, right. wasn't like that. I was so uncomfortable. I had no idea what I was doing. Uh, I was just trying to like navigate. Okay. Right. Um, even if you're not like me, even if you've had sex a lot, something that I see uh, come up over and over and over again is uh, libido issues. Like there's always, yeah. an, it, it ends up, there's like a high libido partner, a low libido partner, and it is not gender specific. Okay. Everyone like blames the guys for being so high libido and women are low libido, but I've definitely seen it on both sides. Like, but there is always a high libido partner and a low libido partner. And this just happens over time. Okay. There's so many different things that can play into that. Um, hormones, depression, stress, work levels, kids, day-to-day life. Um, but something big that also happens that I see a lot is just this like lack of spice in the sex life. Like if you're bored with it, then people stop doing it. Okay. Something else that's important, gentlemen, is that if if ladies don't get off, they don't want to have sex. They don't want to keep coming back to it. Like if they don't reach completion, they don't finish. They're not really excited to come back to it over and over and over again. Yeah. And I'm not trying to like make anyone insecure on their performance in the bedroom, but sometimes we need to look at like, um, what, what can we do to bring some variety into it so that this is something you want to do with relationships. And this isn't just sex. Okay. This is everything. There needs to be a balance between the expected and the unexpected. Okay. So for instance, with expected behaviors, I want to know that I can expect that you're not just going to like move to France tomorrow or go buy a new SUV and not tell me or something like that. Expected behaviors bring like 
predictability and security. Right. Unexpected behaviors is where we bring in like the spice, the flair, the fun in life, where we're actually like getting to enjoy, you know, um, maybe like a surprise date night or something like that. Or we're going to go do something other than dinner and a movie. We're going to do something tonight other than just sit and watch Netflix while you go play in your man cave on video games. Like right. the unexpected is what brings in the fun. Okay. Same thing in the bedroom. If you do the expected over and over and over again for 16 years, you're yeah. eventually going to get kind of like bored. Like this is routine, same old thing, not fun. Um, so I designed bedroom bliss to help people like kind of expand their sexual skill set. I believe everything in relationships is a skill set. Sex yeah. is the same way. There's all kinds of, I mean, hundreds of different techniques, toys, um, things that people just like, they don't even know the, the words for. I right. think uh, I meet people all the time that have a very, very limited scope of BDSM. And they're like, oh, we don't do that. We don't, we, we don't do that. Um, right, right. And I'm like, oh, but don't you like, have you ever held your partner's hand down while having sex? Have you ever, you know, put a blindfold on or, or close right. their eyes? Or, th this is part of BDSM. So like, right. you probably have dabbled in it and just don't realize it. Um, I've met so many people. Uh, I was surprised by this who've never, ever touched a sex toy. And I'm like, that blows my mind. It just, it just yeah. genuinely does <laughs> because there's so much variety that you can add to the bedroom. And it's so much less pressure when you bring in toys, um, right. to, like, you know, to be, being able to like bring in new sensations and experiences and, and, um, and maybe like helping your, your partner. Like if you're, if you're for instance with, um, a man, or I guess it doesn't have to be a man, somebody who has a penis who enjoys, um, hand jobs, for instance, and you just mm -hmm. can't like you, you run out of steam or things like that. There are toys that help with that right. so that you can still do that. You can still have that same experience. Um, but it takes the pressure off of you. And so, um, I just, I wanted that course to like help people expand their skill set so they can bring back what should be like a really pleasurable, passionate, fun experience. I think it's also important to note that, you know, emotional intimacy and physical intimacy are directly correlated. And so, right. you know, if you're suffering in, in the physical intimacy department, you probably are going to be having and experiencing relationship problems. Right. And there, and it's an important aspect in my mind of a relationship. No. Yeah. Absolutely. I think so. And, you know, to your point earlier, I think you were talking about like intimacy in terms of just like touches and holding hands and right. stuff. Um, I think that's really important. And I talk about that in my course is that you do not have to, sex is not just about orgasms. Okay. There's a million different ways to have sexual experiences that don't necessarily um, turn into an orgasm people who want a more active sex life, you know, of course we all, we all want to get there, but if you're that in goal focus, that can turn off a lot of people that are, have like performance anxiety, for instance, um, that can like really shut them down. So looking at it more as enjoying the journey, I think is, um, is something that's like really important when we're talking about improving that aspect of our, of our relationships, but yeah, it's really important. And I, as always, I try to simplify it, like going back to the, Right. Text messages. I, I teach um, how to talk dirty. Most people like have never experimented with it. And right. so there's, there's phases of that, like flirting, um, sexting. 
and then like bedroom dirty talk by actually talking to each other. And I put in like, I put in a tool, uh, I call it a build a sext where you literally just press buttons and I'm like giving you <laughs> that awesome. you can send your partner um, because I want to simplify that for people. Right. Now, now you have I'm sure you have people out there that are saying, oh, my God, sex toys, this, that hand jobs like I don't even know how I'd confront that issue, even start the conversation with my spouse or my significant other about that. I mean, is I mean, does the bedroom bliss, does that help them kind of like like how to do that? Because yeah. I think for a lot of people, it's a, it, I don't want to say I don't know if I want to say taboo or challenging or scary to like, yeah. oh, how do I broach this topic? Right. Yes, I have. I really do understand that. I do have ways um, where I talk about like initiating, uh, initiating like in a more creative way that brings it so that you're not so you don't feel that like sting of rejection if your partner's right. not into it. Um, and then I also have ways that you can like bring up introducing new things. Um, but I'm going to be expanding on that, uh, releasing, it'll probably be either the end of this month or, or it'll be in September, something that I call the libido leveler. I'm really excited about this. Um, Ooh, that yeah, sounds awesome. Cause I'm really that sounds awesome. to like level out this gap between the high and lo- low libido right. folks, um, which is natural. I don't want anyone to feel like it's not, you know, that is going to happen with time. Someone's going to have a higher sex drive. It's right. it's very, very rare for partners to match up exactly. And over time, that can change that the, in, in terms of the that ratio. Your ratio? Is that, is that right? Yeah, absolutely. It, it absolutely can. There's a lot of factors that play into that. Um, but I want to be able to help bridge this gap for couples because that does yeah. become um, a big disconnector. Like it's a it's a big part of what leads to disconnection is if uh, that high libido partner feels like they're never getting any or they're just like not <laughs> right. satisfied. Right. Um, then that's going to lead to resentment, um, which is absolutely what I'm here to help fix. So. Right. Um, so I think that's I'm excited about that. That'll be great. Right. So now circling back to fun. Mm-hmm. Date night handbook. You have another ebook. Yes. It's date night handbook. Tell me about that. What can people expect there? And give me some suggestions for date nights that are going to bring the fun back. And you have situations where people can deal with it if they have kids. So talk to me about that. Yeah. So that is, uh, I call it the at home date night handbook. And the reason that I did that is that most people who are struggling with, uh, like, there are key years that people experience the most relationship troubles troubles. It's year three, year seven, year 12. And then it's normally like after the kids leave home, which would be like around 20 to 25 depends. Those are the years that people tend to struggle the most. And if we look at what's going on in the relationship at that time, year three and year seven is normally either the people that had kids like right after they got married and now we're in year three or the people at year seven, they've had kids. Okay. Um, So let's look at what happens with kids. We have kids. And then you experience like those parenting differences, like maybe you parent kids differently, or we experience more of that, um, that gap. And in terms of uh, household health, like somebody who's actually like contributing as a parent or contributing as an active member of the household versus the people that just aren't. Um, And then the, the other thing is, is dating. Okay. So like when we have kids together, um, that's one of those things that gets put on the back burners. We're focused on the newborn and we're focused on, you know, us being present all the time for the baby. And the thing is, is everyone knows they should be having date nights, but they're not doing it. (laughs) And that's that's bonkers. Right. 
Um, cause I'll ask him like, when's the last time you went on a date? And I, Oh, six months ago, it's hard to get a sitter. Um, my parents don't live in town, blah, blah, blah. Okay. Right. I I've been in the military for, you know, my husband's still active duty air force. So like we've been married the whole time that he's been on active duty. We move all over the place. We've been de- like, he's deployed. We've been apart for, um, three, over three years of our marriage and we've never lived in a location you know, that we've had all of our family around, like that's just the nature of the military life. And, um, and also my younger son, uh, he's eight years old. Um, we adopted him and he's special needs. He has, uh, he's (laughs) autistic and ADHD. It's really hard to find a babysitter that can go the behaviors from ADHD and autism. So my goal with that book was to excuse proof date night. Like, I don't want anyone to say to me anymore. We don't have the money. We don't have, uh, we don't have babysitters. We have young children, blah, blah, blah. I've heard it all. Okay. At the end of the the day, if you value your relationship, you need to excuse proof your date life. Like you have to. And so I want people to be able to connect with each other with this time together. Um, without having to worry about money or worrying about leaving home. And so that ebook, it's a year's worth of dates. It's 52 dates and everything in it is, it won't cost you anything. You just use what you have at home. And, um, and then, yeah, you date each other at home. So you can do it like after the kids go to bed, before they wake up, you could put on a movie for the kids in another room and you and your partner go have a date in a different room of the house. So there are ways for you to still do this and get it done. I promise. Even while my husband was deployed, we had date nights. Even when we had a newborn, we had date nights. Like this has to be a priority in your relationship. So three dates somebody can have tonight. I want to have a date night with my husband or wife tonight. Give me okay. three examples. Okay. So um, one that my husband and I really like, okay. One of my favorites ever um, is a portrait date night. And so if you think back to like the scene from Titanic where she's like, she's like, I want you to draw me like one of your French girls, um, right. something like that. My husband and I sat down. Um, we ended up doing this later as a group date too, but we sat down and we we had uh, made dinner for each other, like made dinner together. And then um, we sat down and we drew each other's portraits across from each other where you can't see it until you're totally done. Um, and we just talked. We like we were conversating the whole time, but we're drawing the pictures or whatever. And at the end, there's this big reveal. And then you also have like a souvenir and a memory. And like, of course, they were terrible. We're not artists. Like, they were <laughs> right. horrible drawings. They're all like disproportionate and like weirdly colored. And it doesn't matter because it was a great memory. It was so much fun. And we still have the pictures hanging up somewhere. Like it was just a blast. Um, another one that I really like is, uh, I call it the dream home date and it's where you go. Um, you can get like on Zillow or things like that, or you can look on HGTV's website, but I want you to actually sit down and kind of like draw out like your dream house with the most like ridiculous requests ever. Like if you want, you know, the Amazon river running through your kitchen or something like that, you want like dolphins in your backyard or, or something like a crazy spiral staircase or a, a tower, you know, with your telescope or something like that. Like, what would you do if money was not a limitation? If you could build any kind of dream castle in the world, like what would you build out? What would you do? Um, so I think that's fun. Um, 
Another one that I like, I love the quizzes day, like personality profiling, um, because it's all about like bringing awareness, um, awareness to each other. So like, if you don't know your love languages, for instance, that's a good one. If you don't know, um, your personality type, that's a good one. If you, uh, if you haven't been on Buzzfeed and just played on Buzzfeed quizzes, that's a really funny date night. Like just getting on Buzzfeed and going through like all of these silly questionnaires, figuring out like what kind of Harry Potter character you are or something. It can be really, really entertaining. Um, so I like that one. Um, I also, I'm trying to think of another good one. Um, I think getting to, uh, the, you, I also want to add in, I'll give you this one too, is just like, you don't have to overcomplicate dates. Okay. Yes. I want it to be interesting. Yes. I want it to be memorable. Like if we think about the components of what makes a great date, um, one I would say is conversation. Okay. You need to come equipped with some really good conversation starters so that it's not dry, especially if you haven't been dating, um, and then you like get alone time together almost immediately that, that, that like, um, moment comes where you're like, oh my gosh, I don't know what to talk about. We haven't talked in like six months. What are we going right. to say? Um, right. So coming equipped with good conversation starters um, is a really good tip because I want you to like have fun, enjoyable conversation. And people hate it when I say this, but I don't want you to talk about kids or work. Okay. And the reason is, is that if you're going to talk about those things, it, it's normally associated with stress. Um, you know, I, if you can talk about it in a really positive way, maybe, but I would still say steer away from it. Um, because generally those topics are going to bring you back to things that are, you know, going to depress you or stress you out. And I don't want you talking about that on your date. So, um, so coming equipped with other things to talk about, um, and then also like doing something that's memorable and fun. If you can afford it and you can go out and do like indoor skydiving or something, I think that's great. If you can't, something like the portrait date I just talked about and drawing the pictures is still really memorable and fun. And listen, let me tell you something. And I'm sure this is part of what's behind these ideas. You're learning something about your partner with each one of those dates. Yes. Yeah, you're learning something about each other. And, you know, it's funny, as I was going through some of your materials and watching some of your TikToks, you know, I thought like I'd never have these conversations with and not and I and I'd say I'm in a very happy, strong marriage. But there are certain things about my wife I still don't even really know, you know, and we don't even think to take the time to explore it as much as we should, I suppose. Um, So, listen, you've got uh, relationship goals, uh, relationship gold, excuse me, which is an emailed weekly guide full of conversation starters, fun date ideas and quick tips. You obviously have the date night ideas. You also have uh, ebook, excuse me, conversation starters. There's so much information there and so many really helpful, really practical, pragmatic tips on your TikTok page. Thank you so much for being on the show. It was so, so useful. Tell everybody where they can find you. Where can they find your eBooks? If they want to work with you and do counseling with you, you still do individual as well, correct? I do, absolutely, yeah. Okay, and uh, where can they find your TikTok? Where can they find your website? Where can they find the eBooks? Give us all the info. Yeah, absolutely. If you want to get that texting guide that we were talking about earlier, five texts that can save your relationship, that's at textyourpartner.com. Okay. 
So just those words, textyourpartner.com. And then if you want to find anything else that I offer, um, my name is Julie Tiefteller. It can be really hard for people to spell out. So um, my website is couplesclubhub.com. Couplesclubhub. Okay. And, and the TikTok. How do they find I the TikTok? TikTok Julie Tiefteller. So you're going to have to spell it. <laughs> so, oh. Um, but if you, it's Julie, J-U-L-I-E dot, and then T-E-F-F. E-T-E-L-L-E-R. Normally, by the time you get to the F, I'll pop up. So. Oh, my God. That's that's so awesome. Hey, by the way, tell your husband thank you for his service, by the way, too. I will. I will. We appreciate all our military people always. Um, and, oh, my God, these tips were so awesome, so useful, so practical. Thank you so much for being on the show, Julie. Hopefully, you come back again sometime. Yeah, good communication. <laughs> yeah. And listen, obviously, there's a wealth of stuff we didn't even get to, but the conversation was so interesting. So thank you again for being on the show. Thank you, everybody, for tuning into Divorce Stories, and we'll see you again next time. Take care of a great day. Bye-bye.